Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode of JAT Cast, the official podcast of the Journal of Athletic Training. I am your host, Luke Donovan. On today's podcast, I will be summarizing a recent article published in the Journal of Athletic Training with the goal of providing you with the best information from this article that you can apply to your clinical practice. After the summary, we will be joined by Dr. William Adams to discuss his latest work regarding evidence-based health and safety policies in secondary schools that was recently published in the journal. Both papers we'll be discussing today can be found on the JAT website, natajournals.org. And please remember that all content from JAT is open access to all readers thanks to the funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. Before we get started, I also wanted to make you aware of an upcoming live video JAT chat featuring Dr. Stephanie Maserol. Dr. Maserol will be answering questions about the upcoming NATA position statement on work-life balance and athletic training. This event will be hosted on the JAT Twitter and Facebook pages on October 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Please feel free to submit questions on social media or by way of email at jatsocialmedia at gmail.com. Now let's survey the scene and get to our article summary. Today's articles stem from the sport-related concussion and emergency care subheadings for the upcoming issue of JAT. The overarching goal of both articles is to provide additional evidence to improve management of concussion and policies related to the prevention of sudden death in youth and high school sports settings. Each article works towards addressing the problem from different ends of the spectrum, where Article 1 evaluates youth's knowledge, ages 8 to 15, about concussions, while Article 2 assesses state-level legislation that mandates the implementation of best practice health and safety policies for the prevention of the most common causes of sudden death within high school athletics. At the conclusion of today's podcast, I hope to have reconfirmed the importance of continued advocacy for our profession within these sports settings because we are the healthcare profession that is best equipped to educate patients and develop policies pertaining to sudden death within the sports setting. In this paper, the author's ultimate goal is to provide evidence to support strategies pertaining to the planning and implementation of youth sport concussion-related interventions. The authors work towards achieving this goal by using a socio-ecological model to examine demographic, parental, and personal factors associated with the youth athlete's knowledge of concussion. Currently, little is known about the factors that may influence concussion identification and management in athletes under the age of 15 making it difficult for athletic trainers to implement culturally and geographically relevant concussion intervention programs specific to this population. Many factors may influence the knowledge of concussion in youth athletes. These factors include one, demographics. Do different states have different legislation pertaining to concussion management in youth sports? If so, does this influence athlete knowledge? Two, sport participation. Do the rates of concussions within a specific sport influence the knowledge of concussions? Three, the coaches and parents. Does the concussion knowledge and attitudes of coaches and parents influence athlete knowledge? And finally, four, the personal factors of the athletes themselves. Does age, history of concussion, and exposure to concussion education influence the athlete's understanding of concussions? Determining what young athletes know and believe about concussion and the factors that most influence these young athletes' understanding is an essential step to continue to advance and develop effective educational and training materials that ultimately improve our efforts as athletic trainers for the reduction of concussions and managing the injury itself. Now let's discuss the methods used within the study. 
The authors requested youth athletes between the ages of 8 and 15 participating in community sport leagues or clubs or middle school sport teams within Arizona, North Carolina to complete a survey that captured data on athletes' knowledge, attitudes, and beliefs concerning concussion recognition and response and intentions to disclose or seek care. Additional questions were included as part of the survey pertaining to the athlete's state in which they reside, being either Arizona or North Carolina, their age, sex, sport participation, previous concussion education, and previous concussion history. The authors chose to limit the geographical regions to Arizona and North Carolina because of the differences in state legislations pertaining to the management of sport concussion. Within North Carolina, youth sports outside of the public school systems are not covered by legislation, while laws within Arizona encompass sports outside of the public school systems. In addition, the authors also quantified the associated parents' knowledge and attitudes about concussion in a separate survey. The parents were also asked to indicate the number of times their child has been diagnosed with a concussion. The complete 29-question youth athlete survey can be found online within the published article. The results of the study are as follows. The overall athletes and parents' scores that represent their overall knowledge of concussions were moderate where athletes answered 22.9 out of 29 questions correctly, while the parents answered 23.3 out of the 29 questions correctly. On average, concussion attitudes and disclosure beliefs were positive among the youth athletes, where 97% of youth athletes indicated that they would tell someone if they thought they had a concussion. Moreover, more than 95% indicated that they should not continue to play in a game or practice if they thought they had a concussion. However, 23% did feel that their teammates would be upset with them if they had to come out of the game or practice due to their concussion. When examining factors that influence youth athlete concussion knowledge, being from the state of North Carolina, participating in girls soccer, having better parental attitudes, and being older were associated with higher levels of concussion knowledge. The relationship of parental attitudes and athlete age with youth concussion knowledge supported the author's original hypothesis. The authors were somewhat surprised to identify that athletes from North Carolina, a state with less encompassing laws pertaining to concussion management when compared to Arizona, reported higher concussion knowledge. These findings may be explained in that the majority of the return surveys within North Carolina were from areas that were in close proximity to large research institutions. Nonetheless, these findings demonstrate that sport participation should be considered when developing interventions. Prior to transitioning to the interview portion of the podcast, I want to leave you with the key take-home points that the authors provided within the text. Multiple factors at various levels of socio-ecological models were associated with youth athletes' concussion knowledge. Parental attitudes influence youth athletes' understanding of key concepts of concussion knowledge. And finally, concussion education and training interventions should target youth sports stakeholders, especially the parent and should include considerations for key demographic factors, such as the state of participation, sport, and athlete's age. Now I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. William Adams from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, who recently authored a paper titled, Assessment of Evidence-Based Health and Safety Policies on Sudden Death in Secondary School Athletics, a benchmark study, which was published online first at NATAjournals.org. Hi, Dr. Adams, and welcome to JATCast. Hi, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, great to be on here uh, talking about this recent paper we have published. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. 
can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, as, as Luke had said, my name is William Adams. I'm uh, currently an assistant professor um, and program director for the Interlevel Masters Athletic Training Program um, at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um, just a little bit of background for my education. Um, I completed my bachelor's degree um, in athletic training at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And then I went on to um, complete my master's and my PhD at the University of Connecticut, um, where I was working under um, the direction of Dr. Doug Casa. Um, and after my PhD, I stayed um, for an additional year for a postdoctoral fellowship um, at UConn, um, where I was the vice president of sports safety for the Corey Stringer Institute. Uh, my role there um, throughout my PhD, as well as my postdoctoral fellowship, was to oversee um, the Institute's efforts for assisting state high school athletics associations and other sport organizations um, in adopting um, and implementing best practice policies for preventing um, sudden death in sport and physical activity. Can you provide a brief background and summary of your latest work? So for a brief background, we really wanted to assess the extent to which um, states were adopting and implementing best practices um, related to the leading causes of sudden death and catastrophic injury in sport. Um, and really get an understanding where, um, where they were and, and to the extent to which they required their member schools in following these um, policies. Um, so specifically what we wanted to do was we really wanted to break out what policies uh, or what, what policies really focus on the leading causes of death. So if you're looking at sudden cardiac arrest, exertional heat illness, or, um, or heat stroke and um, head injuries, we wanted to look at what the current best practices were for not only preventing but managing those and really to assess what states are doing to help protect their student athletes. So, you know, we, we looked at those areas um, and we also, um, or we looked at those areas and, and we're trying to find um, what states are doing and, and the, the full magnitude of their policies in, in helping this situation. So from a global perspective, you know, we found that um, states across the country in the United States, um, they were not um, requiring the member schools to follow all best practices um, specifically related to preventing sudden death in sport. Um, so if you look at the specific components, um, you know, we were finding that um, you know, well, if you break down emergency action plans, access to um, ADs, heat acclimatization, um, environment, and environmental based activity modifications, and concussion management, if you break down the, the current evidence based best practice for each one of those, there is a, a different number of, of recommendations that um, are suggested be followed. Um, so when we assessed each of the states, you know, from a, a from those perspectives, we only found that four states um, require their, their member schools at the secondary school level to meet all recommendations for um, emergency action plans. We found that only seven states require their member schools to um, um, follow all current best practices for access to um, ADs. Um, likewise, with heat climatization and environment-based activity modifications, we found um, eight and three um, states um, respectively requiring their states to follow those best practices. And um, only three states required um, their member schools to follow current best practices for concussion management. So as a, as a global perspective, we were, found, we were finding that states were kind of lacking in this area, um, which was, was um, quite um, interesting for us. And I think there's a, a lot of room for um, continued improvement and, and advocacy to trying to um, further enhance the health and safety of our, of our secondary school um, athletes. I like that you use the word interesting because after I read this paper, I definitely use the word uh, shocking, considering the amount of evidence out there pertaining to the treatment 
of the illnesses that you guys highlighted within this paper. Can you describe the data collection or accumulation process for the listeners? Because as again, when I read through this paper, it seemed quite the undertaking. Yeah, so when we were initially planning this project, we, we um, took a, quite a while to um, plan out the methodology and, and our approach to um, answering this question because we wanted to be as thorough and as objective as possible um, just so we were, we were um, really clear and, and making sure that we were um, presenting the most current and up-to-date information. So um, to start where, where we were acquiring this data from, so we wanted to look at um, policies relating to um, athletics at the secondary school level. So that includes policies that are required or mandated and approved by the state high school or each state's high school athletics association. Um, but it didn't just stop there. So we, we looked at the state high school athletics associations um, um, policies or constitutions, their bylaws, we looked at data that was on their website as far as um, what, their pol what, what their policies were, since some states do a great job in, in posting their policies um, on, on their website um, for everyone to see. Um, but we also looked at um, state enacted legislation, um, and particularly this is kind of revolving around um, some of the concussion management um, best practices that have been um, pushed through legislation um, you know, for a number of years now. Um, and then we also looked at the Department of Education policies, um, specifically related to concussion management and the return to learn um, recommendations that are, are um, um, supported in the literature. So we looked at um, all those different sources and um, our data collection methods were really kind of in two phases. So um, initially we had a, a round one of uh, policy review where we had um, a few research assistants um, download um, all relevant um, documentation. So like I said, this, is, this included the State High School Athletics Association's policies or constitutions or bylaws, any other documents that they were putting out that had policies um, that they were requiring the member schools to follow. Um, we looked at their websites um, to make sure that we were inclusive of that as well, um, just in case it wasn't in any downloadable uh, documentation. Um, we looked at each state's Department of Education policies to make sure that we weren't missing any relevant um, recommendations there. Um, in addition, we were looking at some of the state legislation as well, um, just to make sure that we were um, inclusive of everything um, there. So um, from the base of where we were getting these recommendations from, we started with the 2013 um, Inter-Association Task Force on Preventing Sun Death in Secondary School Athletics published in the Journal of Athletic Training. Um, so we use that kind of as our, as our, our base and our, our initial um, um, source of evidence, um, particularly because it was, it was specific to secondary school athletics and preventing sun death. Um, but then we used um, complementary position statements and consensus statements and other um, task force document, um, documents that complemented um, what was in that document to really focus on um, immersy, um, immersy preparedness, exertional heat stroke and exertional heat illness, um, um, sudden cardiac arrest and concussion management, just to make sure that we were really being representative of what medical, uh, medical literature was saying in, in ways to prevent and manage this, these conditions as a whole. So um, we compiled those list of recommendations. Um, that was kind of our, our template. So then we went ahead and we downloaded all the relevant documentation for each state. Um, so all 50 states, including the District of Columbia, since they do have their own separate high school athletics association. Um, and we had an initial review where we had three research assistants go through. Um, they um, reviewed everything in depth. 
um, and they independently um, indicated whether or not that state met that policy or that recommendation in their policies or not. So it was a simple yes or no. Um, after the initial review, um, we had a secondary re review that consisted of myself and my colleague, Dr. Sam Scarnio, um, where we went back through those independent reviews and compared all the data um, and um, to make sure that they were consistent. Um, if there were any um, inconsistencies with what our, the initial review um, led, um, we flagged that for future, for future um, discussion um, amongst ourselves. Um, you know, when we met afterwards, after we did our independent reviews and compared all of our data for any data that was inconsistent. So if, if there was a recommendation that I thought a state met and, and Dr. Scarnio um, didn't, um, did not um, think they met, um, we had a discussion, we went back into the documentation again, and we had an in-depth discussion as far as why um, we indicated they met or did not meet that, um, that policy, um, and then made a decision, a consensus after that um, to make that decision. So like I said, it was a pretty um, in-depth process and it, it took uh, quite a bit of time to go through, but uh, you know, I feel that we um, did a, a pretty thorough job in, in, in looking at that. Uh, since completing this project, have you seen that any legislation across any of these states that you examined have changed? This data that we, that we um, published was specific for the um, policies that were in place during the 2016-2017 um, academic year. Um, and obviously, we're well past that academic, academic year now. Um, and we've been seeing that since that time, um, there have been a number of states that have gone forward and, and made additional changes and, a different, and additional, um, or made additional policies to really further protect the health and safety of their student athletes, which has been a, a pretty um, good thing to um, be able to observe that, that states are, are being proactive in, in making some of those changes um, proactively. Um, has there been anything done in the area of middle school or collegiate policies pertaining to sudden death or concussion at the either state or national level? Well, I'll start with the, the collegiate level. So if you look at health and safety policies um, between, and the differences between the secondary school level and the um, collegiate level, so at the, at the collegiate level, you have the, the NCAA, and um, all of their member schools are, are required to follow the policies that they put in place. So they're the governing entity, and whatever policies they have in place, their member schools um, are, are obliged to, to follow those policies. And so at the middle school level, um, you know, I'm not aware of anyone that is currently looking at the health and safety policies um, that they're, they're um, required to um, abide by from an athletic standpoint. Now, I know that there are some high school athletics associations that do govern the middle school level. So Alabama being one, um, one state that their, um, their high school athletics association, um, they actually govern athletics at both the high school and the middle school level. Um, so there, there are some, um, some situations like that where the policies will then carry over, but um, I'm not sure um, if anyone else has really fully investigated that and that's a, an area for future research. How can athletic trainers who are currently employed in the high school setting use the findings of this paper when advocating for local or even state policy change? So I think athletic trainers at the, at the high school level um, can really use this document to further enhance the health and safety of the student athletes that they're caring for both at the, the local and as well as at, at the state level. So at the state level, um, you know, they can use these findings and, you know, as you go through this document and see, you know, where states are lacking um, in certain areas, um, whether it be certain recommendations within specific policies or specific policies as a whole, um, you know, they, they can use that to help advocate for, um, you know, 
consideration for the for the adoption and implementation of those policies. Now, whether or not they go and um, try to um, advocate and, and, and garner some support from um, different stakeholders that are involved with athletics, so whether it be booster clubs, um, parent groups, um, PTAs, et cetera, um, that might be a good approach or approaching different, um, you know, sports medicine groups within the state and trying to raise some awareness and, and you know, get, um, get them excited um, about trying to further enhance the health and safety of their athletes is, is a good approach. Do you have any advice or insight on how to make the argument for more consistent policies across the country more compelling? Um, I think, you know, what we can do um, at a federal level is really advocate and, and raise awareness on the importance of having policies focused at preventing sudden death um, in sport, um, particularly at the high school level. Um, I think oftentimes um, what we're faced with is just a, a, a lot of a lack of education on the topic. So raising awareness, um, really presenting the information in a, in a way that is um, digestible to the lay person and really um, stress the importance of why these are, are in fact, um, you know, life-saving life um, things could be, um, you know, quite compelling and really um, hopefully stimulate some um, forward thinking and, and some proactive changes um, at the state and, and the federal level. What, what's your next big question? Um, I think the next big question, and, and it's actually um, some of the work that Dr. Scarnio has been doing and, and, and what, um, at the high school level is to really identify, okay, now, you know, we have states that have policies in place and require certain things to be in place for the member schools, um, but we don't really know what the true um, compliance is for this. You know, are schools actually following the policies in place? Um, and I think that's an important question because a state might have policies in place, but if the school's not following those policies, um, then, you know, you're kind of, you're setting, setting um, yourself up for um, disaster because, you know, these policies are in place for a reason in, in mitigating and reducing risk, but if the school is not um, following them, um, there, there's really no way to reduce the risk error um, in that situation. Dr. Adams, thank you for taking the time to answer my questions about your most recent work published in JAT. Well, that is it for today's JAT cast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find out more information about upcoming podcasts and other JAT events on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts at JAT underscore NATA. Thank you for listening and keep a lookout for next month's JAT cast.